Thanks, everyone. Great news about the football. Fantastic. Pleased to hear it. We are the best church team in the division, winning the cup. That's what we like to hear. Um, we love all our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, but we like being the best. Um, <laughs> Seriously, though, great way to get to know people. Really good point, that. Um, I would love to get to know everyone on the football team. Unfortunately, um, we wouldn't be winning anymore um, if I did. Um, so there are other ways to do that. If you're good at football, um, because I think we want people that are moderately good, right? We don't want to ruin our kind of like... <laughs> it's like everyone's valuable, and, but, but find other ways to be valuable if you're not going to help us win. So... There are lots of other ways to be valuable. And do you know what? The VIP that got mentioned, that's another great way um, to just get to know people. Come along. Um, you know, get to know people over the washing up, over the mopping the floors and um, looking after people on that evening. Get to know people through being on a stewarding team on a Sunday morning or on a kids' work team. Or It's great just doing things together, whether it's playing football, whether it's serving in different ways. It's a great way of getting to know people because just sitting here on a Sunday morning, that alone doesn't do it, does it? So, you know, great example um, from Femi there of getting to know the rest of the football team. Get involved in things that are going on in the life of the church. Fantastic. So we are going to look at the Bible together. Um, that's always good, isn't it? So we're going to turn to Luke chapter 17. Um, I just left my water. Luke chapter 17, and we're going to read from verse 20. Luke chapter 17, from verse 20, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Okay, you ready? Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. And then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them, and likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife, whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding corn together, one will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. 
Well, I thought I'd tackle a nice, easy passage of Scripture um, with you today. Sometimes when we preach, I mean, I was really going for the, the, the verse that says the kingdom of God is in your midst. And I felt a bit challenged because as preachers, we, we do quite like to stop reading before we get to the difficult bits. But I thought it'd be a good opportunity for us to actually read maybe one of the slightly more challenging sayings of Jesus together by reading um, all of it in its context. So let's just, before we kind of dig into this a bit deeper, let's just kind of go through um, this passage that we've read. Um, Jesus was being challenged by the Pharisees, by one particular sect of religious leaders in his day. And these people were um, particularly um, keen on the, the, the Jewish law, um, but their expectation was of a Messiah who would come and rid um, Israel of the tyranny of the Romans. Um, Israel for too long had been subject to various different kingdoms that had come and gone, uh, and their sense of heritage and identity was they're supposed to be the head and not the tail. They're supposed to be conquering over other nations around them, and, uh, and their, their history lately has been that they're oppressed. And that, so they're waiting for this great Messiah, this great deliverer, um, the, the son of David, who will come and overthrow all these terrible oppressors and will reestablish Israel as this mighty king. Kingdom. That's what they're expecting. Uh, and so they're asking, when's it going to happen? Um, and Jesus says the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Now, interestingly, that word observed in the original language, we're told, it's, it's, it's not like a passive thing. It's more like a kind of like an interrogation. It's like a... Um, it's like a kind of like hostile examination. So the Pharisees are like, come on, where is it? Put up or shut up. You know, it's like, you know, you reckon that you're the Messiah? Then show us the evidence. Overthrow the Romans. Sort it all out for us. And there's this kind of hostility in their attitude and their approach. A bit like sometimes maybe we might even be challenged in our workplaces or in our relationships. This whole kind of, well, you reckon God is good? You reckon God's a God of love? Then how come this is happening? And how come that's happening? And why is this going on in the world? And, and come on, show me a sign. Show me the evidence. You ever experienced that kind of attitude in your own relationships or in your workplace or in your community? That kind of expectation. Come on then, I'll believe it when I see it. But the kingdom of God doesn't come with this kind of hostile interrogation. Then he said, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, if you have a slightly older translation, you may have the kingdom of God is within you. Um, the trouble with that translation um, it's kind of a related sense, but if you think about it, he was talking to the Pharisees who were getting it wrong. So he, he wasn't really saying the kingdom of God is within you right now, but he was saying it's amongst you. It's in your midst. Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is, is right here in your very presence right now. And then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them. 
For the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Jesus is saying this great day, his day, his greatest day is still to come. There's a day, that day, the final day, when Jesus will come again. That day is still to come. And he says, when that day comes, you won't miss it. Every so often, little kind of sects pop up and, uh, and start predicting when the end of the world will be or, or claim to be Jesus who's come back to the earth. And, and it's like they start in some obscure little place somewhere in the world. Often it seems in America, but we'll brush over that. Um, and, and, and they're trying to convince everyone that they are Jesus who's come back. But Jesus is saying, don't worry, folks, you're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it when Jesus comes back. But he's saying to them, the great day, the ultimate day, is still to come. Do you remember we heard, those of us that were here last week, we heard Lucundo encouraging us to live our lives in the light of eternity. That actually there is still a future hope, an amazing future hope. And that we live now in the light of there is still a lot that is still to come. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying there's still a day that is still to come. And then he says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. And then he makes a similar point about um, the, the city of Sodom, that, that they didn't see it coming. Everyone was just getting on with life as usual. And the point that Jesus is making is that, is that when the end comes, it's not like, you know, life will just be going on as ordinary. So we shouldn't be surprised when we live in a world and it feels like people are just getting on with their ordinary lives. People just think everything's the same as it's always been. Why can't people see what's going on here? But Jesus is warning that there is a judgment to come. And this is where we start to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because we've realized, haven't we, that just preaching hellfire and brimstone really doesn't seem to work with many people in our generation. And that actually, perhaps, that's not the best way to share the good news of who Jesus is. But nevertheless, it is part of the truth. There is judgment that is coming to our world. Jesus is saying a kingdom is coming. Now, a kingdom, that word kingdom, it means the reign of God. The reign of God, the complete reign of God is coming to our world. And actually, what we know as Christians is, is that that is good news. God's reign is, is good news for the whole earth. But for that reign to be completely established, then anything that stands in opposition that rejects and will not embrace that reign will one day be removed from our world. So there is a judgment that is coming. And what Jesus is warning about here is that this will just suddenly happen. Everything will be going on as usual in our world and judgment will come. People won't be expecting it, but he's saying to his disciples, you need to be prepared. You need to understand. 
And he says in verse 30, it will be just like this on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. And two women will be grinding corn together. One will be taken and the other left. Now, this particular little passage here, it's important for us to understand that Jesus kind of moves in to a kind of double-layered prophecy here. So partly this is fulfilled uh, in AD 70 when the Roman Empire comes and completely destroys Jerusalem. So Jesus is warning people about judgment to come, but then he references, and, and we know that when we put this together with other accounts in the other gospel accounts, and we realize that he, he refers quite specifically to what will happen in Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And that's, if you like, what happened in AD 70 when the Romans came and completely destroyed Jerusalem. It's kind of like a prophetic picture of judgment to come that will come on our world that is kind of pointing towards, actually, we won't ju- things won't just go on forever, just completely unchallenged, that God's kingdom will come and fill the whole earth. Now, we know that, don't we? Because we proclaim that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is a judgment Ultimately, one way or the other, everyone will have to acknowledge the lordship, the kingship, the rulership of Jesus Christ. So they say, where, Lord? Where is this going to happen? And Jesus says, well, wherever there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. That wherever, wherever there is death, wherever there is opposition to God's kingdom, wherever there is anything that resists the rule and reign of God, ultimately God's good and loving rule is going to come and fill the whole earth. So there's a day that's still to come. There's a day of judgment. There's a, a day of the totality, the completeness of the reign of God. And it's in this context that Jesus says, the kingdom of God is in your midst. They're like, when's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? When are you going to overthrow the Romans? And and Jesus is actually predicting that the Romans are going to come and destroy them as part of this passage. They're going to come and destroy Jerusalem. So it's not at all going to be like what they're expecting. It's not going to be a political overthrowing of empires. And yet Jesus says, this kingdom is in your midst. It's here and it's now. There's a day that's coming, that's in the future, that's not yet, and you're not going to miss it. But nevertheless, the kingdom of God is in your midst now. The reign of God is here. You don't need to go looking for it. Of course, Jesus is referring to himself. He's saying, here I am. The kingdom of God, the reign of God perfectly resides within me. What does that mean? God reigns in the life of Jesus. God completely reigns. Everything about who Jesus is, 
is entirely submitted to the will of God. Perfectly. No disobedience ever. No selfish acts, no going his own way, no, I know I really should do this, but somehow I just can't help myself, or I just don't feel like I've got the energy. Or Jesus perfectly embraces the rule and reign of God. And everywhere he goes, he takes the rule and reign of God with him. So as he interacts with society, as he lives in our world, he brings the reign of God. He brings the reign of God so that people can actually see it and experience it and interact with the reign of God. The reign of God is not distant and far off, removed on a platform somewhere. The reign of God is suddenly amongst God's people. And people can see what it looks like up close and personal to embrace this good and loving rule and reign of God in a human life. They can see what it looks like to live in the earth, in our humanity, under the reign of God. Because when it's like just heaven, and it's up here, and it's distant, and it's far off, it's like a concept, isn't it? It's like a, it's like a religious belief. It's like, what will you go for? Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, might try Christianity out. It's got a nice heaven finger. But suddenly Jesus brings this reign of God right down amongst us. And it's not distant and far off and conceptual and theoretical. It's up close and personal. It's real. It's interacting with our lives. Jesus says this is what it looks like for God to reign in your midst. You see, this has always been God's heart and intention for us, that we could live in his good and loving rule and reign, that we could live a perfect life the way he designed it to be, in harmonious relationship with him, with no crying or mourning or pain, no sickness, no death, no injustice, no poverty, no homelessness, no loneliness, no injustice, Life the way God intended it to be. It's always been his intention for the whole earth. A whole earth in perfect, harmonious relationship with himself. And he has never given up on that plan. He's never given up on that plan. And he's never given up on you and me being a part of that plan. He's never given up on you not being shut out and, and excluded. His desire, we're told in, in, in Peter's um, letter, is that none should perish. God's desire is that none should perish. He doesn't want anyone to have to suffer judgment. He doesn't want anyone to have to be excluded and shut out of this amazing, perfect creation that he intended for us to enjoy. His desire is that we would be reconciled to him. And so he came and revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. And he showed us how to receive the rule and reign of God into our lives. And through his death and his resurrection, he made it possible in a way that it was never possible in the past for us to actually live that way. To receive God's rule and reign into our hearts. 
Jesus said in Luke 4, 43, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because this is why I was sent. I'm all about you knowing and understanding that you can receive and enter into God's rule and reign and you can be part of that amazing future. It was never just about a ticket into heaven. It was always about being part of a plan and purpose to bring God's good and loving rule and reign into our world, to transform our world, to make the world the way it's supposed to be. That's what God's about. That's what he's doing. He's not just filling up heaven, he's transforming our world. His plan is not to get people off the earth and into heaven. His plan is to get heaven out of heaven and into the earth. That's what he's doing. That's what he's committed to. That's what he's always, that's what Jesus came for. So that those of us who were outside of his plan and purpose, who were foreigners, who were aliens, who were, who were even enemies of God, because that's what we were. He, was, he loved us so much. He said, I want to restore you to be a part of this for what you were made for. Come and be part of bringing my rule and my reign into the earth. Jesus brings God's good and loving reign into our world. He, he embodies it. He demonstrates it. He proclaims it. He lives it. But there's still this future dimension that's not yet. He says, he says, a day is coming. It's not yet. You won't miss it when it comes. A day is coming when, when all the opposition will be dealt with. But right now, you still see suffering. He says, the Son of Man himself must first suffer. Right now, you still see opposition. But nevertheless, the kingdom is in your midst. And this is where we come in. Because Jesus has made it possible for us to be born again. And the Bible says that when we are born again, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, when we turn away from living life our own way, doing our own thing, we turn around and we say, from now on, I put my trust in what you have done for me, Jesus, on the cross. I thank you that you've forgiven me, you've paid the price for my rejection of God, and I commit my life to living your way with you as the king of my life. In that moment, the Bible says we become born again and we enter into the kingdom of God. We enter into the reign of God. See, that turning around is about saying, Jesus is now my king. Not a theory, but a truth. A person that day by day I can get to know better, that day by day I can build my relationship with, but that, that Jesus is now my king, and God rules and reigns in my life. And so, my life becomes the embodiment of the reign of God. And this is God's plan. He then sends you and me into our world. He sends you into your family. He sends you into your workplace. He sends you into your community. And you have got the reign of God going on inside of you. And suddenly you come and you sit down next to the person you sit next to every day at work, and they've got the reign of God sitting next to them. Just typing away, just filling in the spreadsheets, just filling in the latest month's figures, 
Not like one of the really, you know, the, the Christian jobs like nursing. Um, if you nurse, we love that you nurse. It's fantastic. You do something amazing for society. But please, can we move away from the notion that it's only the nurses and the teachers um, and the doctors who are doing the work of God in their workplaces? Because every single one of us has got the reign of God, even the people who work for Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. <laughs> They've got the reign of God going on inside of them. And they sit next to someone else, or they stand next to, or they play football next to, or they, you know, they entertain next to, or because, you know, their kingdom jobs too, painting pictures, acting, you know, it's all, we can bring all of who we are in God into any circumstance that God leads us into in life. And the idea is that people who live in a world where everyone is still just eating and drinking and going about their business and, and because they've not seen all this, but suddenly the idea is the reign of God is in their midst. Where's this kingdom thing? Where's this, where's this world-changing thing that you've told me about? Well, it's not going to be through some interrogation. It's right here. It's in your midst. It's happening now. I'm the demonstration of it. That's why Jesus said, in the same way that the Father sent me, even so I'm sending you. I'm sending you into your family. I'm sending you into your workplace. I'm sending you onto your street. And every moment of every day, you can live the rule and reign of God in your life so that the kingdom of God will be in their midst. So that the kingdom of God, so that when they say, where is this kingdom you're talking about? It's in your midst. It's right here. It's right now. In Matthew 13, Jesus told a couple of parables um, right next to each other. The first one was about a mustard seed that grows into this beautiful tree and all the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. It, it, it makes me think of things like VIP when we work together to create a safe place where people can come together and, and they can receive the love of God and they can see something of his goodness as, as we serve them and celebrate them. Um, it speaks to me about things we do together, um, great things that we do to demonstrate how good and amazing God is. But right next to that parable, Jesus says the kingdom of God, the reign of God, is like yeast. That a woman takes, and could be a man, um, and works into a batch of dough. And that yeast starts to spread and work its way through that dough. For us, we just put it in the bread maker and it <laughs> does it. But still the same thing happens. The yeast works its way through the dough and completely transforms that dough. The rule and reign of God, God has placed in you. When you decided to follow Jesus, he placed something of his rule and reign inside of you, and that's supposed to grow. It's supposed to grow and completely take over your life. And the great thing, if you've ever seen it, like if you leave the, if you leave the, the dough too long, it'll just keep going and going. We left once, uh, some of you have heard me tell this story, we left once um, a, a number of years ago, Judith and I, we, we tried to make some bread ourselves, and, and then we decided actually we're just going to go out for a bit, and, and we left it on the side, and, and when we came back, the dough had like climbed off the kitchen counter and like was going down the sides of the cupboards and onto the floor. It just like kept going and going, and 
And that's what the reign of God is supposed to be like. It's supposed to like grow and grow in your life and my life and start to touch the lives of people around you. So that your life starts to influence other people's life around you because you're just living faithfully the rule and reign of God. So what does that look like in practice? What does it look like for you to embody the reign of God? Because if you're going to apply this word in your life, this is about seeking first the kingdom of God. This is about saying, the reign of God in my life is going to matter to me more than anything else. So actually, it's going to matter more to me than whether I get the promotion and get the extra income. What's going to matter? I'm not saying that those aren't good things too. I'm not saying don't go for the promotion. I'm saying what's going to matter most to me is that I live the rule and reign of God in my life as I go for that promotion or as I pursue the opportunities that God gives me. In every decision that I make, I'm going to say, God, what does it look like for you to reign in me in this situation? What does it look like? As I think about my future, as I think about where I'm going to go, where I'm going to move to, what opportunities I'm going to take, how I'm going to live my life, what does it look like for you to, to reign in me? And what about in the everyday things? What about in the way I just go about family life? What does it look like? In that relationship that I find difficult, what does it look like for you to reign in me in that situation? What will it look like for your rule and reign to completely invade my world in the way I act or speak? My attitudes, the attitudes that I take towards other people, the attitudes that I take to things that are going on in my world, do I stop and think and pray and seek God and say, what does it look like for you to reign completely in my life in this situation? My relationships, in my conduct in the workplace. Maybe you want to take some time to think, to imagine. Maybe you want to close your eyes right now and imagine your typical day at work. Imagine the place that you'll be at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, or maybe it's even during a night shift this evening, or maybe it's responsibilities that you have in the home. Or just picture yourself there. What does it look like for God to reign in those moments? What does it look like for God to reign in our city, in a city where people are sleeping on the streets, where people are having to visit food banks because they're struggling to make ends meet? What does it look like for us to carry? Not, not the theory. We all know that there shouldn't be any homelessness. We all know that there shouldn't be injustice. But what does it look like for God to reign in my life? What does it look like for me to be part of the kingdom of God being in their midst? What about the way we care for the environment? What does it look like for God to reign in me? I mean, it's inconvenient, right? All this death to plastic and um, it's inconvenient and, oh, it'll, someone else will deal with it. What does it look like for God to reign in me? The God who created this world beautiful and said that we should steward it and look after it. What about purity and holiness? decisions that I make about 
what I watch. Next time I'm about to put something on the TV or look up something on the internet, what would it look like for God to reign in me in that decision, in that moment? The things I say, the way I choose to speak to people, my willingness to forgive, to let go of grudges, my compassion, my grace. It's so simple on one level, isn't it? We are called to let God rule and reign in our lives such that when you walk out of this building today, you carry the reign of God with you. See yourself walking out of here. See yourself walking into your home. See yourself going into your business meetings. See yourself spending time with your children, spending time with your family. Whatever it is that you're doing, see yourself taking the reign of God with you. That when this world says to Jesus, well, where is this kingdom? Where is this rule and reign of God, this wonderful transformation that you're saying is possible, that he would say, even though he's not here bodily anymore, that he would be able to say to everyone that you interact with, it's right here in your midst. It's right here in your midst. What an incredible privilege and what an awesome responsibility that we have as those who've been rescued from a meaningless life, who've been rescued from an eternity without God, who've been given a brilliant and wonderful future. We sang our God is in control steadfast and immovable and ultimately that is true your future is secure and whatever happens whatever twists and turns your life takes if you've given your life to Jesus your eternal destiny is safe and secure and he will bring you through and you will go to be with him and you will spend eternity with him and it will be awesome but between now and then, between now and then, you can't totally control everything that happens to you. People make decisions. People have free will. They do things that God would not have wished that they would do. We do things that God would wish we would not do. So he's in control but he's not micromanaging. And this is where we have the choice to say, I will make decisions that embrace the reign of God. I will make decisions. I will let God rule and reign in my life so that I can be a faithful witness to the kingdom of God that is breaking into our world and that God so longs every single person to be a part of. He loves everyone. His heart is that none should perish. And we have an obligation, a commission, a compulsion because of the love of God to live our lives faithfully, loving God with our whole hearts, loving our neighbors as ourselves, embracing the reign of God so that he can say to your neighbors, your friends, people that you interact with, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the good and loving reign of God 
is in your midst. Amen.